Hello folks and welcome to Film Optimist where we talk about all things film with a generous dose of optimism. I am your co-host Seth Boyd. I am Megan Tierney. Folks, we are entering new territory for a film podcast. Uh, we're in a realm known to Sabapras and wrestling. We have a villain of the podcast now. We have a heel. <laughs> Trenton Presley has decided to come back on the podcast. If you haven't heard our episode on Drive, listen to that. But given uh, the opportunity to talk about whatever movie in the world Trenton would like, he has consciously chosen to do a movie that he knows at least one of us may hated initially <laughs> so trenton thank you for coming back on the podcast and for making us reanalyze analyze the movie with the uh film optimus optimism our mm-hmm. sticking to our mission statement here welcome trenton cressy mm-hmm. thank you for having me and i i just <laughs> want to say i do apologize for making you watch movies that you don't love but i am glad that we're testing the limits of optimism with the film <laughs> optimism and I don't want to be the film pessimist, but I do <laughs> enjoy being the villain of the podcast. <laughs> I hope you add this to your business card. But, and it is important that both films you've brought to us now are movies that my opinion has changed on because it has been at least, uh, I think, a total of maybe 10 years since I've seen each movie initially. Mm. So uh, we're going to introduce the movie as being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Lots to discuss here. Megan, this was your first time seeing it, right? Yes. So I'm oddball out in this uh, reanalysis. <laughs> but Seth, right. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that you hated this movie upon first watch. Like, to yeah, use, to I, use that word. but That's not a mistake. That was the word. I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will get more into what I kind of noticed differently, etc. But Trim, before you give your kind of pitch, right, you knew that I really didn't like it. Um <laughs> I think for me, I was the factor here as I was maybe 17 when I saw it. You know, mm-hmm. the pace have changed quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been, you know, nearly 15 years. And it just, it just to me went from being a kind of whimsical, strange movie to a deeply upsetting movie in the third act. Mm-hmm. And a way that I did not find to still be funny. Like there was definitely uncomfortableness throughout the whole movie. And so that bothered me but i think it is mostly i just felt kind of like a muted surrealist movie i really still prefer like a david lynch surreal where you're generally wondering what scene actually happened what was real what was reality there's not really any scene in this movie where you think was not canonical part of the movie mm-hmm. you know and you have some quirky weird things happening you have these moments of intense imagery but a lot of it, it just looks like people in new york you know, a lot of it just looks like kind of a gray, dreary office. Even it's, kind of sure. it's not as um, lush to look at as like a Fellini movie or a Lynch movie. It's something I'm expecting from a surrealist movie. So it was kind of disappointing in that way. But yeah, I think mostly I was just immature and wanted a, a funnier movie. <laughs> when cool. I, saw, I did actually like it quite a bit. I saw some problems with it. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely will say this is a good movie, a well-made movie. And... I'm glad I revisited it. I, Good. Trent, I think I told you that I woke up in the middle of the night, very angry, remembering that I had agreed to watch this movie with you. <laughs> so <laughs> this was this is what the thing I was dreading the most. I oh, have my. recently watched some of the most challenging movies ever made, like Sallow, and Come and See, and those were easier for me to get into and to watch than rewatching Being John Malkovich because I hated it so much the first time. Uh, so, folks, if you really hated a movie that you haven't seen in 15 years, maybe think about it again. <laughs> it could be your taste of change, and you actually like it now. <laughs> Trin, with that being said, let's hear your initial, like, why did you want us to watch this? And why did you think, especially when I didn't like it, why did you want me to rewatch? Or you kind of hoping I would get out of it on a retake and Megan would get it on the first time? Oh, I'm just uh, a sadist, and so I wanted to make you watch it again. Because No, no, actually, I legitimately had a very similar experience to you. I watched it the first oh, okay, time, great. and I did not like it. And then I watched it again a little bit later, a few years later, and I loved it. I think that it's not my favorite Charlie Kaufman movie. It's not my favorite Spike Jones movie, but it does a lot of things that both of them are good at. And also in sort of like an earlier version of that. So instead of kind of, I think a lot of, I see a lot of connections to like 
eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I think sure. there's also kind of some thematic parallels with her. Um, mm -hmm. There's like, like both of them went on to do other things, even like adaptation and uh, synecdoche. Yeah, absolutely. Like all of those have, I think, did a lot of it better. But this yeah. was maybe like the first time that they visited those kinds of themes and ideas. And so it's interesting to me to see the way that each of those filmmakers, either as a writer or as a director, sort of evolved in their approach to those ideas. So that's that's yeah. cool to me. And also, like you, I I had this was very much hyped up for me on like film lists where I was sure. starting to get into movies at, that were a little more off the beaten path. And this kept coming up and I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, what? No, because it has so <laughs> many really great ideas, but then it doesn't yeah. really end the way that you expect it to, which is good, but I think uh, jarring the first time that you watch it maybe. And I'm I'm interested to hear what, what Megan thinks about it since she's our, our only uh, um, yeah. being John Malkovich virgin. I, I'm shocked by your guys' answers because so my big take is that I really, really enjoyed it this first watch for me. I, I think that like um I've just been I it also just reintroduced that I'm really into absurdism, I I realized and um I I think I like absurdism, especially when it's kind of in still quasi reality like i think i, I do kind of mm. vibe with that i liked what was going on um in this movie with that and i appreciated the humor in it too i found it very funny <laughs> like and i think that um the and then maybe that's i agree with you seth about like there was thematic elements in this like the, the domestic abuse and it kind of turned into like, it could have sure. almost gone like thriller um territory towards the end which I was kind of like craving I felt like but for me like mm -hmm. I think there was a tonal funniness throughout all of it that I was really vibing with I don't know I, I and it was um I think that also a lot of um surrealism tends to be very like extremely self-serious which this one was to an extent but sure. also it, I think it had like a tongue-in-cheek element to it that I um throughout it that kind of stuck with it um this could have been I, I just felt like it was such a risk watching the movie so I think especially nowadays you especially when things are so like through a filter you have to think about what's gonna sell and I I just can't imagine like that any of that idea was uh, uh, ideology was going on while this was being made or like well um these ideas were being <laughs> thrown out there I just I I didn't feel it or see it. So that felt really refreshing for me. Um, and maybe why I, it stuck out to me so much. Like I was just really enjoying it, like along for the ride, basically. And what you said about it, almost like wanting to be a thriller, but then not uh -huh. actually becoming one. I feel like that's another thing that is sort of like a proto version that they're doing to maybe adaptation, mm. where I think in adaptation, mm. they actually do do that full transition into the the, the thriller genre whereas mm -hmm. this is like toying with it it's like oh we want to kind of go for that idea and then an ad adaptation they like fully execute it mm. uh, and i feel like there are a couple of other things like that cool that makes sense because i think that's thinking again about the the uh i think it just it's hard not to talk about lynch so there's a general sense of danger in all of his movies like mm -hmm. a, the main character could die you know and i think that the sense of danger comes pretty late in being john malkovich that i'm just to watch a adaptation because that makes sense i think a thriller works really well with it um i think that another i should note the thing i really didn't initially like about it is that i'm glad you said it there's some tongue-in-cheek elements in it because you're absolutely right and i think it's at the first few to me it seemed very pretentious and it didn't seem to have mm. anything actually profound to say on second watch, it's actually very funny that John Cusack just lists off all the implication it brings up and they never talk about it again. <laughs> and they find the portal. Like, he talks about what this means about consciousness and or how you relate yourself and just kind of rapid fire lists the questions the movie raises and they move on. Um, that's pretty funny, actually, I think, in hindsight. I still don't know if it necessarily says anything all that profound. I'm open to having my mind changed about mm. that one 
uh, it is also important to note, like you're saying, Trin, this was Kaufman and Spike Jones's first movie. Um, not just again, but they had worked, I think, music videos for Spike Jones and uh, Kaufman had written for TV before, but this was their debut feature-length movie. So there certainly is a little bit of a blurring curve, growing pains to this movie that is kind of fun to watch. And I think you and I have talked about this before, Seth, how like seeing the first movie of a director, especially, can be uh, interesting, even if it's not good in when in the way that it places yep. their overall output. And this one, I think, is a extremely like exceptional example of a debut, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 like it's not my favorite Kaufman. It's not my favorite Jones, but like it is definitely yeah. up there for me. I, I think you're absolutely right. This is, I think, considered among the best debuts for both a screenwriter and a filmmaker, and I think it should be. Um, you know, we should actually maybe go around the room here since we're talking about the two big names, Kaufman and Jones. Um, Trent, I think you've seen maybe everything from both these guys. Hmm. Megan, we'll, we'll come back to you, but Megan, how are you with Charlie Kaufman and with Spike Jones? um like their work outside of this i was surprised that jones directed that i i went in not knowing that um <laughs> not not really familiar with charlie coffin myself but i am a i was a huge like her fan i really really liked that movie i think i recommended it previously on the podcast too so um yeah. so um i won't recommend it today i have a new pick for that but um but <laughs> i i thematically and i agree with you trending there were things going on there right, that i i saw in her and I think I could see tonal similarities also like um, in both of those. So just vaguely familiar, I would say even with just Spike Jones, but I, from, I mean, Hey, I enjoyed what I saw so far a lot, basically. You saw um, Eternal Sunshine. Right oh, now. I did. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot. Yeah, um, so Charlie wrote that one. Charlie okay. Kaufman wrote it, but it's a different director. So. Okay. Okay. No, I think that's, that's a good balance. You've seen this and you've seen work that both have done apart from each other so that's kind of what you need mm -hmm. to talk about it mm -hmm. yeah trying to correct my assumption that you've seen like a lot of it i've seen a lot Sorry. of it i tried to look up spike jones filmography but there's like a hundred things on imdb and most of them are like music videos or tv episodes <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure what, what my, I think his last movie was a Beastie Boys documentary and that was yeah. the first thing I think mm -hmm. he's done since her so, first, so, I should say non-music video. Yeah. And then for Kaufman, it's a little bit easier. So I think that the main gap for me is Anomalisa, Anomalisa. Okay. I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure how to say it, but I've been wanting to see that for a while. Which was that, I, don't know either. <laughs> I think, I think that was, uh, his second directing effort as well as he wrote it of course so uh yeah i i'm more of a kaufman fan than a spike jones fan um kaufman i, I i'm not sure if i'm saying it wrong but uh i've been uh, saying kaufman, but i could be wrong it's like andy kaufman i thought it was spelled the same way but so there i think i think i learned somewhere that andy kaufman was kaufman and then or one somebody is Kaufman, and then other people are Kaufman, but it's spelled the same way. <laughs> so I don't know. It's probably should, Kaufman. Should we look this up real quick? <laughs> I would also say, like, because um, we've been talking about the writer's check on the podcast as well. Good for Charlie Kaufman. He's very openly, vocally supportive of it, and is getting the interviews. Is one of the bigger names who is willing to talk about why we're doing this, why we're fighting, everything. So you always love to see that. Um, I also say going comparing this to Drive. Charlie Kaufman, especially as someone who I went into the watch knowing I respected. I've liked some of his later work I've seen. I think he's a very talented person. I've always jive with him. I think he's still not going to be like, I'm not sure if I'm going to go down and see everything he's done. He's not become a new favorite guy, but he's an interesting unique voice for sure. Mm -hmm. That is always going to do something that no one else would make. So I have a lot of respect for him and more respect for him than uh, I was. <laughs> I was really, I mean, diet the dialogue stood out to me like pretty immediate i mean not just even the dialogue i think like the the <laughs> it's almost more than that it's like the way things were said the the choices mm -hmm. i guess of dialogue was very specific i think in this movie and um felt specific in her uh, her felt a little more like um even a little more like based in reality i think than yeah. this one obviously so uh, yeah. so in that way like this one is almost more of a feat uh, it felt like of of writing and like of 
getting you on board for this crazy world kind of thing um but again I, I I did like that it was it was still kind of tampered down in reality and I think that it also um there was a little bit of nihilism going on I think and then also a little bit of like um it felt kind of like early 2000s almost or like 90s era punky vibes is what I got from mm -hmm. it kind of and um I think that was like a spirit aesthetic to it Right. yeah yeah definitely um so I think that spirit kind of like was throughout it and once you accept I, I kind of like accepted that and then you're a little bit easier like going on along with what's going on is how I felt yeah that I I think there was a really interesting sort of suspension of disbelief or playing mm -hmm. with suspension of, of disbelief because whenever he tells anyone well first of all like you you always it feels realistic like there's this grunginess mm -hmm. this like clutter yeah. like everything feels uh, in a lot of ways more real than other like spaces in other movies that i've seen mm -hmm. it, just, it feels like mm -hmm. more more natural uh but then at the same time it's completely like surreal and supernatural at the same time mm -hmm. and then yeah. when he goes to these characters the other characters and he tells them about <laughs> this portal they're like, oh, are you sure? Oh yeah, okay, let me see. Like it, it, there's there's yeah. very little, which I loved about it because mm. when a movie creates this ridiculous thing and then there's a really long setup of <laughs> trying to convince the other characters that it's real, when mm -hmm. we as the audience already are on board because we've seen it for, with the, the main character, it's always annoying to me. It's like, yeah, I know it's a movie. I know it's unrealistic. You don't have to right. show somebody mm -hmm. else being dubious. And so when when they just kind of like go along with it, um, I really, I really like the way they did it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just accepting yeah. it. Like we know this is part of the rules of our universe, mm -hmm. but it was also not wasting time on on that sort of annoying trope. I think that's a great point, Trent, because I think that is one of my top two most annoying tropes. The other one is anytime it's a buddy movie, they have to break up at some point as friends <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, they're back together. Like, you can just have a buddy movie where they're buddies the whole time. That's fine. <laughs> like we've all seen that before how it's going to end. <laughs> I think just because it's like, there's nothing new to do here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But no, you're, that, that was a great use of time. And as a viewer, maybe the first indication you have that this is not our world is watching the puppeteer on TV that he's really mad about. <laughs> is that the guy who mm -hmm. has like the 60 foot is it Truman? I can't remember that he has like this over a bridge is puppeteering. That's first like that's kind of I guess plausible, but also really fucking weird, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also no. really like that that specific like I don't know like three second shot of the news story about the <laughs> mm -hmm. sixty foot puppet because that kind of harkens back to the script that we probably will talk about eventually, but maybe I can. <laughs> introduce now well basically i was getting into reading screenplays in one of my nerdier phases and so i i went to the being john malkovich screenplay and and i read it because it was recommended somewhere on on reddit i think and i was like oh wow this is way different from the movie maybe mm -hmm. I, at least what i remember of the movie and that was the first time that i watched it again and I, mm. I really, I really enjoyed watching it again with having read the screenplay, even though it's very different because it shows you one, a lot of context and backstory. It's kind of like reading the Silmarillion for Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> okay. And then it also like, it, it kind of uh, emphasizes some of the themes that you see in the movie and, mm -hmm. and, and clarifies maybe, maybe not what he means, but what he was thinking about or, mm -hmm. or targeting and sure. so the, the 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 rival puppeteer that is in the screenplay that's like the only thing we get from him is that three second look at the news clip in the mm -hmm. very beginning of the movie but he's like a, a more like not not a super developed character if i remember mm -hmm. correctly but he's he's more involved i think the biggest difference between the screenplay and the final movie is that the actual devil is in yes. the screenplay and is 
the villain. <laughs> and um, I have mixed feelings because I, I do really love a screenplay just that just goes for it. I love a story that's like, we're, we're really going there, like whether it's the nuclear war happens or um, something extreme like that. I, I appreciate that also the devil's very important to me. Um, hmm. So I think, I wonder how many back and forth this was. So, um, my takeaway is that the movie's much better for not being a bad ending. <laughs> Um, what do you guys think? For me, my biggest difference was that she married the monkey. I liked it too. I think that it did produce a lot of like the tonal, like convey what was like kind of being said throughout the movie um, <laughs> regarding the animal lover like aspect to, I think like we were just laughing because like they use animal lover in the um, in the description of um, Lottie for I watched this on like Amazon to rent it and um, so that that they use <laughs> those language was a little jarring to see that in, yeah that she ends up being <laughs> um so yeah yeah I was just seeing a little bit of that too um but I, I agree like I I read um uh, as prompted by Trenton which I totally appreciate to read like a little bit of the ending at least completely different ending there was the devil and then she marries the monkey like a lot of basically a completely different ending um so I, and then having read them both I just I appreciate i think what happened more in the film because i think that helped not go off the rails maybe is how i felt about it um i i enjoyed the ending and it felt like a better pass like honestly it felt like a better once over than um than what i saw from the from the writing yeah i guess the execs made the right call (laughs) i guess so (laughs) i want to say i think carmen is maybe my favorite part of this movie actually she's really brings weird this is when she's still in a lot of rom-coms and stuff and she's playing this very frumpy character and she's really going for it and um i, I respect her for for doing that movie at that time when she was you know still very authentic in a rom-com or something like that or charlie's angels did not need to have like a, a bad haircut and not look as glamorous as she normally does um which i thought was hilarious in it but you know what i, um, I thought was crazy Mingo, i just i uh, just noticed yesterday was that she was wearing brown mm-hmm. contacts oh that's funny i know i didn't notice that i almost didn't recognize her at first but yeah. she she was great like i i agree she no. was um very in into her character and not a misbeat at all like it was great trend i can't remember if i talked to you or megan offline about the connection between this movie and get out Oh, I I don't think we I don't think we talked about it, but I oh wait no we did talk about it. Never mind. Okay, Megan, are, we, are you aware of this? And we're going to make the audience aware of this as well. But um, I am not aware of this, and I'd love to. So, hear. so um, Catherine Kinner, I believe is her name, who plays Maxine, is the um, mom in Get Out. And yes, the, that's right. Uh, the theory is that 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 what she's doing Get Out is a further development of the portal technology, <laughs> essentially, and. Mm. Um, George Hill actually likes this theory and didn't have it in mind when he wrote it. There's a few of him saying, yeah, you know what, that's canon. Let's, let's make that real. <laughs> he, he loved the theory. Spoiler alert, but basically Craig, John Cusack's character, goes to the sunken place. True. Like, forever. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Megan, I was curious for your take <laughs> on the Maxine character. I'm so glad you'd mentioned that she was in Get Out because I was trying to place her like the whole movie and she well she was a very like um I remember I know I've seen her in other things too myself but she was great I mean really fun to watch (laughs) reminded me of of Uma Thurman almost in Pulp Fiction she had kind of like that element for me but yeah fun to watch I that was kind of like I for me also the problematic elements of John Malkovich is that it's pinning these um, I mean he's kind of a sleazeball in the beginning obviously that he Craig or John Malkovich Craig Craig that he's um, you know has a relatively normalish life and wife with Cameron Diaz a sweet Cameron Diaz and throws it away doesn't care apathy towards that and wants the new and shiny Maxine and um But it's fun character to watch and like see her doing her thing. And 
I think apathy is kind of a good word for it because like she she's flipping about it too. She doesn't care. She's like um she has a very like f u attitude kind of, but um f o f o as Trent and I yes yes um in film optimist fashion and f o attitude um literally <laughs> and. To me, it's also funny that she literally kind of does a 180 with that and um, with John's character. And that was a little bit of a um, departure of the script or like a hard to get behind. I kind of, I forget even was the switch where she was um, totally down for being- I I really like that part. Okay. Yeah. And, and where, I where, just- uh, when Craig's controlling John Malkovich, now mm-hmm. she's attracted right. to- Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I forget that I- I was like, I just can't even remember like when that happened in the film, but um, sure. and that she's like so immediately on board, um, but then reveal, you know, things later on reveal that it wasn't even that's not really a part of it. So, uh, a lot going on with Maxine, I guess. Yeah. I think I'm a little written of the characters, but I think the actress Kevin Kenner has a lot of it because it kind of could easily be a written by a guy who just got rejected by a co-worker and angry yeah. about it is kind of how it initially comes off but she's so good at this person who in a different movie is a full-on femme fatale you know and she kind of is but also craig sucks you know <laughs> you don't really feel too bad for him like you said he's very you know one it sounds like it's been a while since he's made any money to contribute to their household since he's insisted on being a puppeteer which only gets him beat up in public because he's doing pornographic puppeteering on the I love, streets i love at the um, beginning when cameron diaz is, or lottie is like maybe you should get a job yeah <laughs> it's like i had this idea what do you I think know. about it right and she's so sweet like she's so i think she's great yeah kind and just you should know this is loving. another connection to a jordan peele movie with nope we have another chimp is a plot point here that's what i thought was, about maybe a little scared mm-hmm. remembering it's like oh like this is i guess before you stopped having ship actors, at least in that way, it's like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, what was happening behind the scenes working with this guy? But I did not come across any uh, horrifying stories. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought she was great and makes the character generally fun and funny when it is kind of a, uh, um, her her passions seem to be initially be like, you know, power, et cetera, but it kind of changes with whatever the script needs and, you know, I should also note to uh, listeners, maybe not the most um, educated uh, understanding of trans sexuality is uh, <laughs> in this movie. That could be a triggering for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in there. But it's still kind of an odd dynamic. But ultimately, she ends up with Lottie, the Carmen character, as a lesbian couple raising mm-hmm. Lottie's kid from John Alkovich, kid that was conceived while Lottie was controlling John Alkovich, <laughs> um, which mm-hmm. I love how confusing. I, I Anne has not seen this movie, but I just wanted to explain to her how weird it was by telling her what the ending was. <laughs> and we need to almost write a diagram to explain what had happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we should not talk about the man at the moment here, John Malkovich. I'm not sure if you've already came across this, but apparently Charlie Cobb was very adamant about it never being anybody but John Malkovich. <laughs> um, Malkovich, even actually upon reading the script well before it was going to be a movie, well before Spec Jones was involved, liked the script and said, hey, if you want to make this with somebody else, I'd love to direct it. Common said, it's got to be about you. <laughs> it's got to be being John Malkovich and turned down several other suggestions <laughs> and it was very adamant about wow. that. Are you guys in general fans of John Malkovich? It's kind of hard not to think of him in this world because he's so in it. Um, but did you have kind of a expectation about him prior to seeing this movie? Oh, I mean, association? I had a non, non-expectation and okay. a... I think I like him more that he agreed to do this movie is <laughs> just how I feel right. about it. And like, it's so weird. And I like that he, it's, it's also very like, I like that he didn't care enough about his name to throw it out, like um to let it be the, you know, the name of this film. And, and like, um right. and it goes into the themes of what the film like becomes and it like is about, and especially like for an actor, I think that, and it's a little, it talks about that too that he's pretty self-serious about his acting career and like is reciting oh yeah he's yeah. reciting um Shakespeare. the cherry orchard yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He's doing Richard the third when he's uh doing yes. the plays uh, it's interrupted 
so very no no a very very like um on brand for like act quote-unquote actor right. and um that he kind of throws it all away <laughs> this is really <laughs> funny and fun to watch i love stuff like that yeah i think he's great i really like him in um the con brother movie uh, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. i think he's also very you know comedically self-serious in that and uh, just causes an absolute shit storm and is great at over enunciating things in a acting uh, theater actor kind of way that's very fun Trenton your uh, your take I, on the man I think the first time I had really seen him in anything was this movie maybe <laughs> and so when I was watching it like I recognized him kind of but I didn't really, sure. I couldn't necessarily place what I had seen him in. And this was maybe, I don't know, I was probably like 20 or 21, something like that. So it was a while ago. And so I, I hadn't seen him in anything else. So for me, like being John Malkovich is like John Malkovich. And, <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite John Malkovich roles is like one of his worst roles, the movie Rounders. Mm -hmm. where he, he's this russian like card shark kind of like poker gangster kind of guy yeah. <laughs> with matt damon and uh, edward norton it's like not that good of a movie but it's one of my top 10 favorite movies <laughs> and he does a really bad um, russian accent <laughs> there's that uh i'm blanking on his name but like on youtube i think it's with wired there is like the uh the speech coach and he'll he's a dialect coach professional and he does videos talking about good accents and bad accents and John Malkovich's accent. Yeah, he's great. But mm -hmm. John Malkovich in that movie is one of the examples of a terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he breaks down, you know, Russians don't make this sound with this language <laughs> and gets into the details. And it's just mm -hmm. like it's just kind of a vaguely Eastern European <laughs> uh, <laughs> accent. But I also I really like an actor who doesn't mind being hammy and being truly good at things. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think John Malkovich is very good at being hammy, but also like he's great in Danish liaisons. He's great in some other movies that are much more uh, straightforward mm -hmm. uh, roles. But Trent, you win this round. <laughs> um, <laughs> you definitely convinced me to rewatch this. And I'm and you also I will say you got me. No, actually, I'm gonna save that for my recommendation. Never mind. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I was glad to be open to more of his uh, his cinematic world, Kaufman's in particular. I, I a question that I think has to come up is uh, people are in one or two camps with Charlie Kaufman. Either directors are um, restricting his brilliance and they shouldn't, in the case like this, or Eternal Sunshine, or he's a madman who needs to be reined in <laughs> by a director. Mm. Um, do you, as someone who's particularly a fan of Charlie Kaufman, have a take on this? Or are you just kind of always happy with anything Kaufman? I am a total Kaufman fanboy. I love everything that he's <laughs> ever done. I mean, I didn't love I'm thinking of ending things. It kind of annoyed me. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed watching it, but it's not not my favorite. But everything that he does, I will, I will uh, watch it. I think having read the screenplay i can see why it was tamped down and they mm -hmm. they didn't go mm -hmm. with that but at the same time i really want to see that movie <laughs> from the screenplay like i don't think it's filmable at all but right. but i it sounds really cool and also the thing with the devil they did like sneak it in a little bit with um the Flemmer building, or I think that's what right. it's called. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. the building the is Flemmer named building. after the the guy who was like the host body to the devil in mm -hmm. the screenplay. Mm -hmm. So you get a little bit of a, a hint of it peeking through. Um, but but yeah, I, I am wrongly or rightly enamored with pretty much everything <laughs> he does. I'm interested. Totally respect yeah, in like reading him now, especially after that little snippet. But um, maybe he's he's just a writer that you want to read and read all his screenplays. And um... he has a novel app. I oh, I wow. have it downloaded. I haven't read it yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, I just you and I are in a book club. You can really fuck up mine and Philip's day. But... Oh, <laughs> Philip will be so mad. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Megan, you were saying sorry. No, no, I, that's that's my thing. And I just feel like it will will become better writers or at least a better imagination no. having read reading it you know so i'm i'm interested in that i'm looking forward to to seeking that out myself yeah he's so clever 
Yeah. Yes. He is. Mm -hmm. He's definitely a talent. Um, any other areas of this movie that you guys want to make sure we address? Well, this is not Sorry. necessarily something that needs to be beat to death, but it helps me to kind of lead into whatever my recommendation is going to be, which okay. I'm not sure what my recommendation is going to be, honestly, but <laughs> it comes from this idea. So, okay. so being John Malkovich, like literally the concept of being John Malkovich means something different to uh, like most of the main characters in the movie. So I would say Craig, Lottie, Maxine, Lester all have their own version of what it means to be John Malkovich and why that's valuable. And I think it's interesting to think about what it is because for some of them, it seems like one thing and then it's actually something totally different. Like for Maxine at first, it seems like she's just like, this is a kink for her. She's interested in having mm. this new kind of experience. But then I think what sort of ties her character into, you guys thought it was a little bit one dimensional. And to me, it seemed like there was something about her that was always sort of narcissistic, sort of seeking mm. a sort of a power over people. And I think mm. that for her, she didn't even have to be John Malkovich, but just like uh, her connection to it, that mm -hmm. to that strange thing made, made her feel fulfilled in some way. And when Craig is able to finally fully control the body, that's when she connects to Craig, I guess. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. exactly yeah. how to describe it, but I'll just say she connects with him at that point. Sure. And he says, it's more than puppeteering. And she says, no, it's more than puppets. It's controlling people. And that's mm -hmm. basically her whole mm -hmm. thing is, is controlling and manipulating people. Like even going on a date with Craig, like she just wants to pull his strings, so to speak. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, I think that's kind of, kind of the theme for her. Then Craig, it's something else for Lottie. It's something else for Lester. It's eternal life. Mm -hmm. It's pretty yeah. simple. And then for the, the customers, even they have their own thing that they want to get out of being someone else or being mm -hmm. John right. Malkovich. And I think that is maybe the philosophical question of the movie is if you could do this thought experiment, if you could be in someone else's body, would you and why? And mm. I think that's interesting because there's a it's it's not it's not like deep necessarily. I think it's interesting. It's clever. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people cite this as a philosophical movie like, oh, movies that do philosophy. And <laughs> I don't know about that. It is it is a thought experiment. I I'll give it that, but I don't know if it's a philosophical movie. Uh, yeah. But that that I guess would be my question. Is there any kind of philosophy that it, this is doing, or is it just like a fun way of thinking mm. about something you haven't thought about before? That's a great point, Drew. I'm glad you you phrased it that way because I think that also is a good one. Like sometimes there's things I don't like because of the type of person who's very adamant that it is something greater than it is, and I think I've been stuck at a party talking to somebody who says this is the deepest movie they've ever seen. <laughs> I think Tchaikovsky movies, I think Bergman movies, I think even Lynch movies go deeper places than, than this does in terms of uh, moral and philosophical questions. So it is an interesting experiment. I think you're right. It does bring up those questions. I still think about my answer. So Megan, do you have, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Um, oh, you said, you, that was very well said, Trenton. I'll say like, I, I, I appreciate that take on it I feel like and I I found it so enjoyable watching it but I think that I was just very entertained like watching this movie for the first time and and entertained also by the very specific dialogue like the way that they were expressing these things I think was what I was kind of you know grabbing onto and holding onto and also for me I the little elements of there was like a lot of little details that really amped up, amped it up for me in terms of like what I enjoy in film. Like I, I really like that, like um, his little monologue, I guess, of um, when he becomes a puppeteer and they show like, uh, like mm -hmm. he has a like a memoir called like Off the Strings or Unstr you know, something like that. I love stuff like that. It feels, 
that seemed straight out of like um like parks and recreation or something like that you know a, a parody in in modern day like that um and that's the kind of stuff that like i the little details that i love um the orientation was, videos yeah the yeah, the, the half size office like i was going crazy i love <laughs> stuff is like that, that um olivia spencer at the beginning who helps open the elevator yeah uh, uh, octavia Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's like her only being that for one I was like, holy shit, I didn't realize who that was the first time I saw it. I know. No, all of it. And the, like the little Alice in Wonderland reference of yeah. the door. Like there was just so mm -hmm. many little like things going on that I was just happy enough, you know, to see all of that. And to me, it felt very more like um, sci-fi fun element of like, oh, and and they do ask the questions and the um, funny philosophical questions of why they enter it and uh, enter the body of John Malkovich. So it all felt like every character just felt very realized too and kind of realistic in a sense, which is why I appreciate your take on Maxine and all of that. Like that, it just felt true to who they kind of were. And uh, oh, another fun little cameo was um, David Fincher. Oh, oh yeah. Did, did you? Did oh, that, you is that him being interviewed in the? Uh, yeah, I did not realize that was David Fincher. <laughs> oh my! And and all the cameos like I, that Brad they. For like a second. Yeah, right. that they were all willing to like go along with it too. I, Sean Penn, yeah. I love stuff like that. Sean Penn was was good. Um, <laughs> you know, just all of that. I love it. Love stuff like that. I, I gotta say, I think Trent, the more I'm thinking about this, I think there is actually kind of a philosophical point here that the only people who are truly happy going to the host body or Lester because he's having eternal life. And I think that's, that is a kind of argument. Like the only, what we actually want is just to not die. And, mm, um, mm -hmm. and that would be the only way we'd actually be fulfilled <laughs> because everyone else is unsatisfied or it's temporary. But, you know, I, I, I do love that when um, Craig has figured out how to be John Malkovich a lot long-term, he starts like when Malkovich is acting like John Cusack's character, it's so great. His teeth looked a little more weird. He's mm -hmm. got the weird hair, but it's like all his mannerisms are just this kind of giddy weirdo, not John Malkovich respected actor. And I thought he really pulled that off great. But I think it does bring up the question of like fulfillment and unfulfillment. And um, mm -hmm. the only way one would actually be fulfilled would be to live eternally, which I don't even believe that. I don't want to throw it. I know. But I think, I think that would, is a arguable point or the flip side that's and I don't think this works, but that it's more of a metaphor of being controlled, you know, about like all the people influencing us that we don't know about. But I don't really think that works for analysis of the movie, but I can see that that was probably some sheet paper in college that we wrote, right? <laughs> Many times. Trina, was it you? I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a much more um, funny movie than I expected and a more rewarding mm -hmm. and fulfilling experience rewatching it. So, Thank you for choosing to be our villain here. <laughs> I have no idea what we're going to do next. I'm terrified and excited. <laughs> we have to have you back now. That was my plan all along. You're my <laughs> you're my new host body. <laughs> host we'll podcast. <laughs> we love doing it. All right. Well, with that, should we... Um... Oh, sorry. I just want to say one other last behind-the-scenes thing. John Cusack apparently became aware of this by asking his agent to find the most strange, unpreserviable script he could find and um, was immediately on board with this. <laughs> so just happy to hear that he was an actor who just decided to do that. Yes. <laughs> John Cusack is one of my favorite actors. Mm -hmm. I'll, watch any, I'll watch anything with John Cusack. He was very good. Like all of the actors were really good in this. He was really yeah really believable in this and that's kind of what you need and he was just great i i really liked Everyone it that wears exactly what he's wearing this yeah movie. yeah 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 well trent as our guest do you want to start us off with recommendations unless anybody has a closing thought on the movie they want to share i i think do you need time <laughs> well no i have my recommendation i'm just okay. trying to think if there's anything that that yeah. i missed that i wanted to talk about and honestly i think I think we just about covered everything. So my recommendation, I have two recommendations and mm -hmm. they're not, they're not like rewatches. Like I didn't like them at first, uh, mm -hmm. but they're, they're more connected to the idea of movies that are philosophical because okay. I, I think that there is kind of a philosophical 
thread here and they try to make you think about consciousness he talks to the monkey at the beginning is like or the chimp and he says you know i have consciousness and then later one of my favorite lines is do you know what kind of a metaphysical can of worms this opens <laughs> or something like that and it's like yeah right. but you don't really talk about it so i think there is an attempt at that so one movie that i think actually does sort of open that metaphysical can of worms of consciousness is ghost in the <laughs> shell is it a kind of a similar idea to being mm -hmm. john malkovich of like moving consciousness to a different host body mm -hmm. but i think sure. does it in a more philosophical way and is just an amazing movie uh generally so i that that's my first recommendation yes and then my second is gonna be groundhog day because oh, yeah. it's it's okay. a fun cheesy movie but it yeah. also feels strongly philosophical to me mm -hmm. and also in both being john valkovich and groundhog day they both to me feel almost like a modern fairy tale mm -hmm. like there's there's just kind of like a mythical thing like it's weird when i watch being john malkovich i think about rip van winkle like there's mm. something about the tone something about it that like is very kind of timeless and mythical i i don't know so mm -hmm. so both of those i think groundhog day also has that sort of modern day fairy tale and also philosophical implications to it and oh. and also kind of starts with a thought experiment what if you live the same day over again mm -hmm. yeah oh, good pick good trenton yeah. yeah thank you Meg, would you like to go next sure i'll even pick because um i agree i i this movie almost reminded me of uh, being john makovich had elements that reminded me of like straight out of like a disney channel original movie or something like that with the with the elderly people like going into like i don't know that, that or even like a goosebumps thing going on something like that like i agree that it felt very whimsical <laughs> um so i'm i'm laughing because my pick is like a little deranged version of that but um so my um my recommendation i want to give is called I've talked with Seth about it and I was trying to see if I, I don't think I recommended it on the podcast yet, which I tend to do. So, um, but this is a new one called, well, a new rec, I should say called Lars and the real girl. And it's a very, oh, very, yeah. very low budget. Um, this is a Ryan Gosling movie where he is uh, dating. He's a very odd fellow and he, he has like trouble in, in life. He, it's, it's kind of implied that he may even be on the spectrum is like what people um, suggest. It's, it's never said it's never really talked about, but he lives with his like sister and stuff like that. Um, never had a girlfriend um, gets a girlfriend and, but she is a like sex doll named Bianca. And I thought her name was Barbie. I think. I think. <laughs> oh, well, she is, she is brunette Trenton. So she can be Barbie um yeah i don't but, know it sounds like the same movie this is the most deranged <laughs> ken you you could ever see like it's like it's kind of the opposite of ken which um, no no i've seen it i love that movie and for like for ryan gosling really interesting like he's very weird and just the movie's very weird but also it has that like sincerity and people kind of take it seriously like they take what's going on very seriously so um, but extremely low budget, like uh, there's maybe, you know, four main characters, including the doll. <laughs> so um, like, I, I just think it was like very similar, like things going on that I really enjoyed too. I, the sincerity in it was, was there as well. That kind of, I do feel like you need for absurdity. And even though they're more like the people around him are like, really like, what are you doing a lot of the time? it's not distracting and like in that annoying sense that we, we talked about too, that you have to explain what's going on. People kind of give it up towards the end. And it is a really interesting experimental movie, I would say. I mean, I'm so glad you read that. That's a great movie that I've not seen in such a long time, but I think yeah. I have a copy of it. It's also, yeah, we... while well, it's not there, a few movies that takes place in my new home state of Wisconsin. So uh, oh, yeah. some Wisconsin pride around Lars and Real Girl for me at least. Yeah. But I, I think that movie, like I said, they never, he's never diagnosed. I think that's really important. Like there's some implications, yeah. but like it does work at that where you were both seeing kind of like a fairy tale way of like, there's a logic to the story that works largely because it's not 
this character has X diagnosis and here's how we're treating it. Yeah. You know, it is a little bit more of a whimsical thing than that. And it's a, it's a surprisingly sweet movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great little indie film and love Ryan Gosling for doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, folks, I'm going to continue the tradition of acknowledging my failures here, my inaccuracies <laughs> with movie tastes and going to, like we did last time for Amazon, acknowledge another movie that I've come around on. Maybe the biggest one, Citizen Kane. When I first saw Citizen Kane, I thought it was very dull. And it was also kind of in vogue for a fellow 16-year-old film snobs who hadn't seen most movies to be an asshole, but I was not that good. And I was definitely leaning into that for a while. Rewatched it in my mid 20s. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is, it's not the greatest movie of all time, but it's incredible. It's amazing. And Orson Welles is fantastic with everything he did behind the scene. Obviously, there's the Mank co writing it too. That's its own can of worms. But yeah, Citizen King is actually as good as people will tell you. And it's also pretty quick. It goes this way a lot quicker than I remembered. It's not like this three hour epic. I think it's two hours. But it is an astounding film and an indie film. So. If you're like me and you put off watching what many people consider the greatest movie of all time, <laughs> go ahead and check it out. You're going to have fun. Great choice. I think uh, Vertigo passed uh, mm. Citizen Kane for number one. Yeah. Cool. Like Vertigo did, and then um, the Belgian film. That oh, was yeah. Movie. I still need to see That's that. Uh, Jean I, I think. But no, I, I, I was actually I very happy when Vertigo passed it. <laughs> that was a big day for me when Vertigo surpassed. I think it is better. Of just yes. number one film of all time lists? Or from, uh, from Sight and Sounds polls, yeah. Uh, okay. Like according to directors and film critics, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was used I, to I Citizen Kane. <laughs> right. Taking the number um, one spot. Uh, the official answer, you know? <laughs> so. oh, very nice. You should watch right. uh, film an Odyssey. Have you seen that? Ooh, no. I have not. The, uh, it's, it's like a documentary series, right? Yeah, and they have an episode where they go into a little bit about Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, and it kind of helped me to appreciate mm. it more. I uh, to make sure I'm not too optimistic this time. I did not like Mank, the David Fincher movie, bringing him up again, largely because I just don't think it's true. That's the movie that posits that uh, this screenwriter who's co credited as the screenwriter is the sole screenwriter which is not just a fan that's a very common theory in hollywood i primarily don't think it's true because orson welles made several other great movies <laughs> that he mm. wrote so yeah <laughs> but it's an entire movie dedicated to that concept well folks i think that's going to do it for us today thank you trent for coming on for being our heel for giving us the wrestling audience that we need you have a high mark to hit again next time mm. <laughs> because i cannot I cannot reiterate how much I really disliked this movie when I first saw it. I know. And I was surprised I wasn't watching it again yesterday and generally having a great time. So, you, uh, well, thank you for bringing it to me. Trenton was kind of my hero. I really enjoyed this uh, this watch for me this time. So, well, that's you, why you, you're, you're film right. optimists. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Trenton. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me back. We'll do it again. Absolutely. <laughs>